problem is we haven't encountered authentic, genuine, powerful God. And we get caught up in religion and we get caught up in all these things other than God himself. And without him, even the word of God, without the spirit, the letter kills. That's the scripture. And so we feel like, for, well, for the past couple months, we've been preaching on this, returning back to the basics. We feel God's calling us into a season of consolidation, strengthening foundations, going back to the basics in order to prepare for further growth. In order to grow, we need a new place of personal devotion and consecration to God. We need to allow God to expand our capacity, prepare our hearts for our proper response for what he's going to do. This means even things like what Wes Shattuck prayed, strengthening marriages. How can you lead the people of God when your marriage is a wreck? How can you encourage people to enter into wholeness and, and righteous relationships when you can't even have a healthy relationship? You know, it's like if you want, you know, we, we talked about being an example of the believers. It's time to go back to strengthening the things that need to be strengthened. Sharpening our character and our leadership skills. Lee Robertson said, Roberson said, let us return to the basic things of the word of God and prayer and soul winning and revival. Let us pray, oh God, send a revival. Let it begin with moi. Good job. We offer so many opportunities for people to grow at the crossing. Think about it. You know, they grow in their faith and devotion through encounters. You get set free by the power of the cross of Christ. Serving on teams, whether it be Sunday team, children, life group, elders, deacons, ministry of helps. There's first principles to establish you in the word in the very basics of the apostles' teaching. Right? FMO, FWO, clean you up, journey, set you free, enter into freedom from all the vices of of past terrible experiences and traumas, right? Prayer furnace, coming to just pray and just express your heart to God. No confines, just, just total all-out worship, right? But these aren't the focus. Our focus is the living God, His nature, who He is, His will, what He thinks, His family, the church of which all of our families are part. His plan for us from the time we're on earth until we stand before his judgment seat and we enter into eternity. This is what our focus is on, God and all that he encompasses, right? And you know, sure, these things lead us to that place to focus on God. But so many times people make it all about the things that lead them to God instead of God himself. And I just want to make that clear because if you think that we're just trying to like introduce some wonderful program or academic um, initiative or educational plan, you are missing our intent completely. It may educate. It may drive you closer to the Lord. But it's about your life being transformed and brought nearer to the heart of God. That is our intent. 100% simply put. What do you think? You think, you know, we want to just, we don't want to be a programmatic church. We don't. We want, you know, because 
there's places that just have a hundred different programs and they attract everybody and they all come. We want to be an authentic, genuine Christian community that has all these things, healing, prayer, all of these things intertwined in everyday life, like the book of Acts, right? They went from house to house, breaking bread with simplicity in their heart, declaring what the Lord had done, seeing people healed, seeing people saved, all part of normal, powerful Christian life. Not where Sunday is Christian life and then the rest of our days we just like live our, our secular lives. That's not what God's intent is. God's intent is pervasiveness, invading normal life with power and glory and supernatural and abundance. Like every second, even at your workplace. All day long, you're thinking of the goodness of God. You're looking for what God might do. Your bathroom breaks are like, praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. I'm just taking this opportunity to, to just pray and ask you to fill me up, Lord God. Out with the old and with the new. No, I'm just... <laughs> I could not resist that. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm so sorry, God. I'm sure you were. You know, leaders, you know, the leaders, there's been folks struggling. Like, wow, there's, 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 we're asking for accountability to pray, to journal, to read the word, right? You know, do you think that we've initiated an educational plan by returning to these things like prayer, journaling, reading the word, and being accountable and making our progress known? These are the very basics that draw us to God. It keeps us from heading hellbound through the powerful forces of the dark kingdom. What are those? Humanism, rationalization, individualism, self-centeredness, self-reliance, worldliness, control. Did God not say, taking matters into your own hands? If you're trying to keep control of your life, folks, Avoid accountability and just do it your own way. You are in grave danger. You're steeped with the basics of Satan's kingdom. These things, it's not casting a spell. It's the nature of Satan, which is individualistic, rationalistic, self-centered, self-reliant, controlling. God says if you try to save your life, in Matthew 10, 39, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will surely find it, the Lord said. Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Just Think about that for a little bit and get perspective of the kind of God we serve. There's A.W. Tozer says something pretty awesome. He says, you cannot ex substitute anything for obedience. Have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying. And it simply will not work. And you know, there's nothing wrong with praying. You don't want to pit good things against themselves. But I'm telling you folks, 
it, this is exactly what I'm talking about, is that the church loves to grab on to the things of God and make them God instead of God. And there's all these things are meant to bring us to God. Bonhoeffer said, the cross, this is the guy who lived during Hitler's time. And he was one of, he was one of the few Christians in Germany that actually stood against the atrocities in his time. Guess where all the other Christians were? Supporting Hitler. Being quiet. Going with it. Do you know what's happened? I mean, just look back. Look back at everything that, that we face. Look, look back at COVID. The church acted just like the world. No one stood up and said, oh, what's going on here? I'm not talking about the first couple months. First couple months, yeah. Do whatever you can to help your neighbor, whatever like that. But then there comes a point in time where you say, wait a minute. You know, we talked to a friend in another country. They haven't met together as a church for three years because of COVID. Knock, knock. There's something wrong, folks. When you reject the word of God that says, do not forsake the assembling together. If there's anyone that had that right, it would be those who live in China who would risk their life to meet for the church. We're talking about catching a flu. And now we have, you know, I couldn't believe it. Everything that happens, you know, like in our society, you know, like as soon as BLM started taking place, I knew it. I said, there's no good fruit in this. City's burning down. Then fundraising millions and millions of dollars and buying massive houses. I'm saying like, I knew it from the start. I said, this is not right. This is not right. And then... We see all this stuff take place, but I'm telling you, right, the church loves to jump on the worldly bandwagon. Anything the world starts saying, anything the news says, woo, sign me up, and then people start posting on their Facebook pages, yay, yay, yay. And listen, I understand. I want injustice to be eradicated from the face of the earth. I am not for injustice. I don't care what color, yellow, black, white, yellow, purple. Human beings matter to God. All human beings. Justice needs to prevail, right? But I'm telling you, when we start to just jump on things without being able to discern the spirit of the world behind it, there's a problem, church. Wake up. Start following God and not some political agenda. I'm telling you, really. And now there's more, we're always in a big political drama in our earth. And I'm saying, church, it's time. We are not led by that. We are led by the spirit of the living God who sees past every agenda, every bit of, of propaganda, and looks at human hearts and the depravity of sin and its effect on the human condition. And we're called to be repairs of the breach. We're called to be bridges. We're called to be led by the Spirit of God and be obedient to the living Christ. Anyway, Bonhoeffer, he said the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments to this world. <laughs> 
It is the dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Christ Jesus. The death of the old man at his call. Jonathan Goforth said, if revival is being withheld from us, it's because some idol remains still enthroned. Because we insist in placing our reliance in human schemes. Because we still refuse to face the unchangeable truth that it is not by might, but by my spirit. First Peter, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Resist him, speaking of the devil. Be firm in your faith against his attack. Rooted, established, immovable knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. You do not suffer alone. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who imparts favor and blessing, who called you to his eternal glory, you have been called into his eternal glory. You have been called by God into his eternal glory. In Christ, will himself complete, confirm, strengthen, and establishing you, making you what you ought to be. I just want just pause there for a second. It's so awesome. Christ himself has committed to make you what you ought to be. This is amazing news. Everyone should just get up and do like a little... I'm telling you, this is encouraging because God is promising himself that he will make this happen in your life. You don't have to like strive and work. You have to be willing, available. And God's like, I'm there. I've committed to do my work in your heart. I love this quote from Campbell Morgan. He said, revival cannot be organized but we can set our sails to catch the wind of heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. And this is the posture we take when we're growing in God and we're saying, hey, return to the basics. We're not saying, like, read your Bible every... We're not trying to, to, you know, impose regulation. We're trying to say, hey, these are the, the dangerous elements to the spirit of the world. These are elements that will cause your spirit to be charged and activated. Start taking them in. Let's encourage one another. Let's hold one another accountable to return to the basics, to prayer, to reading the Word, to journaling, recording what God's doing, making our progress evident to all. Right? We're committing to that. And then we're just, we're doing what we need to do and lifting our sails, saying, oh God, would you come and blow wind on my sail?" And God's always blowing wind on sails. He's always there. He's so eager to. Pushing us, blowing us into the next place. 
You know, in 1 Timothy 4, we talked about this a little bit, but it's, it, it expressly says, it says, unmistakably some will turn away from the faith, paying attention instead to deceitful and seductive spirits and doctrines of demons, misled by the hypocrisy of liars. This is strong language. And we're given, we're given this incredible antidote, and it's called the word of God in prayer. For everything God has created is good and nothing's to be rejected. If you point out these instructions, you will be a good minister of the gospel. Keep yourself spiritually fit, verse 7. We fix our confident hope on the living God. Keep commanding and teaching these things, Paul tells Timothy. Let no one look down on you because of your immaturity, but be an example and set the pattern. See, it's not just my role to set the pattern for you. It's your role to set the pattern for everybody else in the body. Your life is to be a continual signpost of, look what the Lord has done. That's another amen shout you missed. You just missed it. You missed it. It's okay. Now you made up for it. But like your life should constantly encourage people to say, whoa, check out what God did with Dan. Whoa. Wow. Have you seen Brian lately? Something's going on with him. It's called Jesus. Paula. Whoa. Did you see her last week? I, I just connect with her. She's like beaming. Something's going on. God's up to something. Wow. Maybe he can do that in me. Lord, would you do what you did to Paula for me? Would you do what Dan, what you did for me? Lord God. It causes us to want more of God, want God to do the same thing in us. If you don't have that going on, you just got to put up your sail and catch some wind. I'm telling you, it's so simple. It's not like you have to go on a 20-day fast and then pray. And Now, if he, if he spoke to you, obedience trumps everything. Okay? It trumps everything. You can't do the right things enough to trump obeying God and just doing what he says to do. If God tells you to give up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, yep, it is true, bro. It might be prophetic here. Get ready. Verse 15, practice and work hard on these things. Be absorbed in them, completely occupied in your ministry. Every single one of you has a ministry. It's called worshiping and obeying God. That is your ministry. Now that may require you to do all kinds of crazy stuff like give up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Whatever it is obedience to God. You are a sacrifice, a living sacrifice of worship. That is your ministry. That is your ministry. That is your only ministry. And if you seek first Him, all things will be added. That means you put Christ first and obey Him, and He will make sure He manages everything in your life. Hey, you better take care of some more attention to your kids. Okay, you got it, Lord. Hey, how about your wife? Okay, you got it, Lord. Hey, listen, right now, if you don't turn around and take care of some affairs in your business, there's going to be a problem. Okay, Lord, thank you. And you obey, and you let him direct and lead your life. 
The point is that you don't lead your life. There's people who don't even know what obedience to God is, and they call themselves a Christian because they feel they can just take the principles of God and lead their life without God. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is true. There are people who, are, who control is their idol. They don't let God in their life, and they play around and flirt with all the things of God to think that that will substitute true relationship and obedience, and it won't work. There is nothing but hollowness, a lack of transformation. And you know what? We can all see that. That's a public thing. Oh, don't judge me. Well, no, we are called to judge. We're called to judge based on fruit. If your life has no fruit, then we can say, you don't have any fruit. Does that make sense? I mean, really, we get so religious, like, you can't judge, you don't know. Well, yeah, you do. If you have a successful business, it produces income, and it produces growth, and it increases No bank is going to lend you money on something that doesn't have any annual growth. Now, 15, 20, 30% growth every year, you're like, whoa, this place is, woo. Right? It's the same with your life. If you have had the same problem forever, and there's many problems, no growth, everything's static It's called dying. That's the definition of dying. When things don't grow and live and produce fruit, they are dying. What is your life like? Is your life dying or is it abounding and growing and producing emotional health and producing fruit and inspiration in other people's hearts? Come on. That would be a great That would be a great life group question, not what is the theological significance of, like, you know, Matthew 10.39. No. How is your life bearing fruit? Or how is your life not bearing fruit? What areas do you need to invite God into to begin to live and take control? Let's, Let's talk at life group about practical things. Like, what, how is it with your soul? Well, you know, I don't really want to talk about those private things. I don't really like 1 Timothy scripture where it says, make your progress evident to all. There's some things in the Bible that I like, but not that one. So, you know, I'd rather talk about things that I like to do, like theological things I can hide, hide behind that don't have any personal significance to my life in godliness with Christ. Whoo! Amen. Preach it, Sean. Okay, I will. Let's sit here for just one second. We will stand before the Lord and we will give an account for our time in this body. Jonathan Edwards said, Where will all of our worldly enjoyments be when we are laid in the silent grave? Resolved to live as I wish I had done when I come to die. Resolved to live as I wish I would have done. 
10,000 ages hence. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Would that change the way we live? Make decisions? Like eternity, eternity. That means your whole life is going to determine, determine eternity. Eternity means never ending, locked in forever to eternity. You won't die, you won't pass, you just transition into another kind of operation and relationship with God called eternity. We fix our eyes on what is seen and not, but on, I'm not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, according to the remarkable grace of God, which was given to me, Paul said, to prepare me for my task. See, every single one of you have a task. It's called your life. What are you to do with your life? What task what grand task are you to fulfill not one of you is exempt you've all been created for incredible things for a task like a skillful master builder i laid the foundation and now another's building on it but each one must be careful how he builds on it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is already laid which is Christ Jesus. But if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be clearly shown for what it is. For the day of judgment will disclose it. Because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality and character and worth of every person's work or their life. If any person's work which he has built on this foundation, that is, any outcome of his effort, remains and survives this test, he will receive a reward. But if any person's work is burned up by that test of judgment, he will suffer the loss. He'll suffer his reward. Yet he himself will be saved, but only as one, one, one verse says, escape through the fire with his britches. Basically, you just made it by the flames that burn up everything, but at least you're there in your underwear. <laughs> the point is that what do you think will burn up? What happens when fire touches hay? What happens when fire touches gold? It endures. Fire touches gems. It endures. And this is what we have to do. We will stand before the living God and give an account for our life, our work. And you know, it's kind of like having kids. They grow so fast that you say, what in the world happened to our life? And you're just like, we're going to stand before the living God saying, how did 70 years, how did 90 years, how did 110 years go by so quickly? And we're going to say, I wish I could change something, 
but you won't be able to. Now is your decision to actually live your life to the fullest for God. Amen. Yeah. What are you living for? These are great life group questions, Steve and Chuck or whoever does this. What are you living for? What are your real affections? Have you grown cold in your heart toward God? Toward his work? Listen, folks, I know what that's like. Anyone else know what it's like to grow cold toward God? Anyone know what it's like to grow cold in your marriage? Everything takes time. It takes investment, cultivation. Have the basics become stale to you? Oh, prayer. Oh. Well, you know what? Chances are you probably just got around some bad prayer for a long time over and over and over. Why don't you start some real hot, fiery prayer in your closet alone and then come and ignite everybody else and say, hey, yo, lame prayer person, receive the fire of God. Like, let's pray. Let's shake off the spirit of heaviness. Let's believe God's alive and not dead. Like, seriously. Like, let's, let's, let's have a call to action here. A come to Jesus moment again. Have the basics become stale? Is your life stale, void of the first love? You know what some indicators are? If you have the first love going in your life, you do irrational things. Remember when you first met your spouse? You spent more money than you had. You made stupid decisions like driving hours just to spend a half an hour with her. You did all these things like she worked in Boston. So I would drive all the way down to Boston through traffic and everything just to pick her up. And then I'd have to drive all the way home. And then I wouldn't get sleep. And I become exhausted. Why? Because I had first love. I'm like, I don't care about anything but seeing her today. That's what it's like. An indicator whether you have first love for Jesus in your life is you do some crazy things, not counting the cost. You're like, I don't even care. You've gotten two hours sleep and you're just like, tonight's prayer furnace. Do I sleep or go to prayer furnace? Prayer furnace. I just want to get with Jesus. Like, like it's, it's, and that's not a judgment against you if you choose sleep rather than prayer for us. I'm not, I'm just saying when you have first love, you just don't care. You know, you just do stupid things. You know, there's good things about growing older. You don't do stupid things as much, but don't forsake your first love. You can take the parallels without regressing. Okay. You know, when you're, when you have first love, you sacrifice immensely without any thought. You're just like, oh, I don't care. How is this demonstrated in your life? So in life group, it would be good to discuss things like, hey, I don't care what your claims are. Like, oh, I just love him. How is it expressed out of your life? Would you, would, would, do your words convince other people? Or do other people go, um, you say you love him, but like, I don't see you ever really expressing that love like how do you express the love maybe some of you in life group ought to start a few fights and actually ask people in your life group oh you say you love him so much how do you see yourself loving him so much 
What do you do? Well, you know, I just, all when I'm alone only, all I do is just tell him how much I love him. Oh, that's why we don't see it. It's only when you're always alone. I get it. Okay. You get what I'm saying, though? Like, folks, we got to encourage the body to wake up. We got to encourage one another. We got to inspire one another. Burn for Jesus. Burn in love with him. Another indicator is when you're, you have a first love, you aren't looking to other people for your affirmation. You're just like, he loves me. He just loves me. I don't care what you think. He loves me. You're just so full with the fact that you are loved by God. You're just drawn off him. You're consumed. You're like, you know what? He loves you too. You want in on this? Come on. I'm going to end with this quote here by Packer. Christians in revival are accordingly found living in God's presence, attending to his word, feeling acute concern about sin and righteousness, rejoicing in the assurance of Christ's love and their own salvation, spontaneously, constantly in worship tirelessly active in witness and service. Oh, you better watch. You're going to burn out. Oh, no. Are you kidding? How can I burn out when my heart is ablaze in love for God and I'm just able to express service tirelessly, endlessly? (laughs) Active in witness and service, fueling these activities by praise and prayer. Oh, gosh, I'm starting to feel a little tired. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Father, for filling me. You are awesome. You are awesome. I lift you up. Oh, I'm starting to feel good in this place. Woo. Folks, you know, what's the Lord speaking to your heart? We're going to close here. Lord, I just pray for every single person here. I thank you, Father, that this word would charge their spirits, that it would lift them up, that it would engage their hearts. Father, I pray for those who are downcast and trodden. I pray, Lord, you lift them up, resurrect them, speak to those dry bones. I pray for a stirring in every heart for the affections of love and devotion to the living God who is alive and not dead. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that this will change. It'll transform. I pray for new fire to be started in hearts. New, New love, Lord God. I pray that even when they sleep, I pray for you to intervene in people's sleep, Lord God. That they'd have dreams that are filled of passion and romantic times. Love for God. Engagement of people's hearts and their affections and their hunger for you, Lord God. I pray they have dreams of miracles and have dreams of revival and have dreams of prodigal children coming back to the Lord. I pray, Lord God, that hope is released in people's sleep. Come on, just respond to them right now. Just talk to them. Wherever you are, just begin to ask the Lord to do a fresh work, a new work in your your heart. I really believe that prophetic word that came forward in the beginning about springtime. 
I think that was Crystal, and she just started speaking. I'm like, man, that is it. We are breaking in, but God is not going to break in for us. You got to break in through your praise and your intercession and your worship. Springtime is there. You're right at the threshold. Begin to press in to God. He's going to cause things to bloom fresh, new things just erupting in your life. Come on, just talk to him. Just ask him to begin this work. Doesn't matter how long you've served him. He wants to do a fresh work in your heart, your life. Bring things that were dead back to life. Come on, begin to, let's just respond to God here. Let him minister to our hearts. Do a fresh thing before you leave.